Hello there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome into another edition here of the Just for Kicks podcast. I'm Matthew Klingenberger, hoping you're having a wonderful start to your holiday season. And I know that for so many, it's travel, it's getting gifts, it's so, so much going on, and I so greatly appreciate all of the support and all of the, uh, not just listens, but just the overall support that you have shown this program, this podcast, it has been tremendous, and I hope that you continue to do so, as we have so, so much more. I told you we were going to get this really going on the last podcast episode, did I not? The listeners of the last episode could back me up. Speaking of the last episode, you can go back and you can listen to all of our previous episodes, which I probably recommend that you do, because usually it's supposed to be in some form of a chronological order, but... I would recommend that you do so, and you can do so courtesy of this very same 1380 The Fan podcast page, as well as Apple Podcasts, if that's your preferred method of doing so. Hey, we've got plenty of good ways to listen to this top-tier content. While you're at it, go ahead. Click on so many of our great podcasts and shows that my colleagues have been working on at 1380 The Fan. I know they've been putting in a tremendous amount of work, especially through the holiday season, and I commend them for that as well. We're here, down to the business end. There are two matches left. Put an asterisk next to two, but two matches two matches left of the FIFA World Cup. One doesn't really matter for anything other than bragging rights. And one is the planet's biggest event, the World Cup Final. We're going to talk so much more about that here in the coming days. No, not, not even in the coming days. What <laughs> the coming days? How about how about in the coming minutes? Uh, yeah, trust me, I can't go days on end doing this podcast. So hopefully, hopefully, bear with me on that one. Coming minutes, rather, as we look forward to what should be a doozy of a final, and even should be a decent third place match on Saturday. We'll look ahead to both. We'll talk about the World Cup semifinals that just wrapped up. Not quite the barn burners that maybe some would have hoped for, and maybe in some cases would have expected, but that's how it goes. It's the World Cup. We've had so many surprises already that we had to be, had to be unfortunately subjected, I guess you could say, to a rather dull round when it came to, to the drama and the surprises that we've seen throughout this tournament. So we'll take it. Hopefully it means that there's a climax, a massive, massive, ending, in a fitting ending to this World Cup in Qatar. And believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, start your clocks right now, synchronize your watches. We are just a little over 1,200 days away. That's all, about 1,200 days away until the start of World Cup 2026 here on home soil, the North American World Cup that will be hosted by the United States, Canada, and Mexico Countdown is on, especially with those three nations not having had the greatest of World Cups. The U.S. having done the best, but only having gotten to the second round. So all three will have a lot to prove. That's a little bit of what we're looking at today. Also, we're going to talk about the offseason. Uh, rather, we're going to talk a little bit about the offseason for the Chicago Red Stars. Or actually, we did talk a little bit about that on our previous episode. But... They're still making a lot of moves. We're also going to talk about the a little bit more of a breakdown of the World Cup action for the U.S. men's national team. We're going to talk a little bit about the local high school scene. As take a look at some of the girls' teams as we recap their seasons about just how exactly things went for them and 
take a look at some of the top performers from here in the Fort Wayne area, and then we're going to talk a little bit about a story that's, that's not quite set right with me since the United States left this World Cup, and many others from Sea to Shining Sea would, I'm sure, feel that way, and have their opinions about this particular matter. We'll talk a little bit about that, and again, we'll talk a little bit about more, a little more in depth than what we did in the last episode about the U.S.'s World Cup run. But, we begin, as I mentioned, local soccer. That's what this is about. Local soccer, girls high school soccer. Another season in the books, very productive season for many of our local high schools, local programs. But in the end, once again, one of the top performers when it came to girls soccer, and not just Fort Wayne, but the Class 1A level in the state of Indiana, well, that would be the Canterbury Cavaliers. As Canterbury goes from 1A all the way to a state championship game appearance. Unfortunately, the Cavs fell just short. But, let's take a little bit more of a look into what they did in the run-up. Because, it really is about the journey just getting there. So, let's take a look at how they got there. Right, Regional semifinals. If you're going to make a statement, why not make it in a big game? How about in a regional semifinal, they dismantle Eastbrook 5-0. 5-0 in a playoff game. And we're not talking about, you know, the early rounds of sectionals where sometimes you get the big teams that just overmatch some of the smaller, lesser successful teams. No. 5-0 in a regional semifinal. But it gets better for them. A little bit more dramatic, but against even stiffer opposition. They won a regional championship in a penalty shootout. Now, I know there's this talk about is a penalty shootout the best way to end a game? I love it, personally. I really do. I, I've always felt as though if you can keep your nerve for that long, lonely walk up from the halfway line to the penalty spot 12 yards, and you can successfully convert, and you can do that better than the other team, and your goalkeeper can turn in a better performance, that is a fitting way to end. Because how else is it going to end? I mean, we're just going to keep on playing and playing and see if anybody scores? No. Especially no golden goal, and I don't like that over time system anyway. Penalties are the way to go. Canterbury, the penalties were the way to go for them. As they clinched a regional title by defeating a previously 16-4 Faith Christian team. Match finished 1-1 after extra time. 3-2 on penalties. So, both teams had their ups and downs, of course, when it came to penalties. But Canterbury kept their nerve. Faith Christian, respect to them. But in large part, they didn't. So, Canterbury advances, and then they go on to semi-state where they find a 1-0 win over Chester, or in Chesterton over Andrean. Unfortunately, they came up just short, three second half goals in the state championship game against Park Tudor, Indianapolis area school, and unfortunately, they do fall just short. So they finish as runners-up, but plenty to be proud of for Canterbury, such a tradition-rich program, and they are continuing to carry that torch. And be one of the best in Fort Wayne. But as we take a de you know, an even bigger look at Fort Wayne. How about we go just outside the city. Leo, they were also runners up. In Class 2A. They were as impressive as it got in the first couple rounds at least. Of regional play. They too. How about this? 5-0. Regional semi-final game. 5-0 over Western. And then a 1-0 over Belmont. 
That clinched their regional championship, their ticket to semi-state. And then they took down Mishawak and Marion, kept another clean sheet in the process, 1-0. But unfortunately, if you're so accustomed to being so clean, so compact and resolute defensively, when all of a sudden that doesn't come to fruition, it can be a problem. And that's exactly what happened in Indianapolis at the state championship game when they lost 4-0 to Evansville Memorial. In documenting a couple other a couple other of our top teams around the state. It was Carroll, who were knocked out by Noblesville, traditionally a powerhouse down there, Bishop Dwinger. They won the SAC this year. And the Saints did it 7-0. Snyder and Northrop followed at 5-2, but goals were everything. Goals changed games. Goals changed seasons. Well, goals were everything here. Senior Lily, oh, sorry, uh, Lily Harriburton uh, led the SAC in goals with 17 for Bishop Dwinger. 17 for her. So she winds up leading the SAC in that department. A couple others with Snyder. Snyder had a, a duo that followed her. But Bishop Dwinger wins the SAC, unfortunately for them. Like I said, you come up against a juggernaut in Noblesville, and it just becomes so difficult. And that's exactly what happened as they ultimately succumbed to the Millers, as they're known. The Noblesville Millers, down there just north of Indianapolis. And unfortunately, they fall just short. No SAC team got further than that. Or rather, uh, Carroll, I should say, got knocked out there by Noblesville. No, no SAC team made it further than they did. So unfortunately, that was the setting. A little bit disappointing for the Summit Athletic Conference, but... A lot of positives overall. We're going to have so much more about high school soccer as their seasons have wrapped up. I'm going to continue to look at teams around the area before we transition back in to club season for travel ball players in high school and college, as well as American Domestic League season, which, believe it or not, is not too far away from starting up training camp again. I know that there are players who are trying to enjoy a little bit of off time, especially those who played in the FIFA World Cup, which we're about to talk a little bit more about right now. We want to hear about Team USA, don't we? I mean, sure, we can talk Canada, we can talk Mexico, we can talk about Brazil and Argentina and England. Well, England, it's it's not coming home, sad, sadly, as they still can't make penalty kicks. So, let's talk about the U.S. instead. And we want to go game by game, because we ran out of time in last week's episode. We want to go game by game. The U.S. men's national team took the second youngest squad at this year's FIFA World Cup on average. I believe it was only Ghana who were, who were younger. And Ghana actually had a pretty strong showing before getting knocked out in the group stages. But the U.S. made it past the group stage. Let's talk a little bit about how they did it. Match 1. USA 1, Wales 1. It maybe wasn't the game everybody had circled on their calendar because of the opponent, but rather the circumstance. USA had been out of the World Cup since 2014. Eight years, a long time, and we've been craving to get our opportunity since that game against Belgium. that sent us home, and we thought it's almost a foregone conclusion that we'd be back at the World Cup in four years' time in Russia. 
eh, one dramatic, traumatic night in Trinidad and Tobago, now a little over five years ago, meant that that didn't happen. But now this young team leads us back. And you want to talk about weights. How about this? The opponent for the opening match, Wales, this was their first World Cup since 1958. Not a big country. For those who don't know, even though they compete together as Team Great Britain or Team GB in the Olympics, England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland when it comes to FIFA competitions other than Olympic qualifiers and the Olympics themselves, they compete separately. But for Wales, a football mad nation, not a big country, almost somewhat surprising that it took them from the World Cup in 1958 in Sweden to qualify here. But the Welsh were back, and it was good to see them back at this year's World Cup. They didn't have the showing that I'm sure their fans were hoping for from an aging generation that probably needed to be there four years ago to put on a strong showing. I thought that they would have done a little bit better, but... It was good to see them, and they had a fantastic support throughout the entire tournament. So good to see them back, and hopefully it's not too long before we see Wales back again at the World Cup. But they were the United States' opening opponent. And may I just say on a personal level, it was, it was fantastic. It was special to once again see the U.S. men's national team back at the World Cup after an arduous wait since 2014 when again it seemed like it would be a formality that we would just we would just be at world cups that's how that's how it was going to go we're we were just going to qualify we we're just going to make it there and then in 2026 in all likelihood i don't know if it's been confirmed yet or not but the belief is we don't have to qualify but we learned the hard lesson that that's obviously at least the first part about oh we just qualify for world cups that's how it is and we're more concerned with what we do when we get there we learned that it's not that simple and unfortunately for the U.S., the return to the World Cup was not, not incredibly simple either. The first half, brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I don't know what Greg Berhalter said in the locker room prior, but he should have said it the entire tournament. He should have said it even before. And maybe we wouldn't have been in a position where we had to sweat it out to some degree, just needing to avoid a lopsided loss in Costa Rica on the final night of qualifying Maybe we wouldn't have had to go that far. I don't know. But they played like their hair was on fire. They played with intensity. They played with aggression. Every loose ball, it seemed like the U.S. was getting there first. It seemed like every loose ball, an American player was there first, that they were winning every 50-50. And that was pretty consistent throughout the tournament in the first half. We'll get to the second half here in just a moment. But in the first half, extremely promising. The U.S. nearly scored courtesy of an own goal. And you know what? On another day, that might go into the back of the net. On another day, when Josh Sargent hits the outside of the post, that might be a goal. Unfortunately, this was just one of those days for the U.S., but they did get a goal in the first half. It was Tim Weah who scored the first goal since Julian Green did so. At the World Cup, first American goal at the World Cup since that game against Belgium in 2014. And even though it felt like it was one of those games where it needed to be and should have been more lopsided at halftime, it felt like the U.S. had this one at least under some, some semblance of control. But that did not turn out to be the case. And, and, I, and I was watching this game. 
And I said it at halftime. I said it at halftime. Wales are going to make their adjustments, and that's what concerns me, that everything is for this young team going so well right now, other than just the score itself, that we're only up a goal, and it could be three, four goals, or maybe not quite so much, but at least two. could be at least 2-0 before halftime. It concerned me that we thought that we were playing so well, and that maybe we'd take our foot off the gas just to find that the Welsh had turned it up a notch or two, and then we hit the panic button. And don't call me Nostradamus, but that's exactly what happened. Unfortunately, we hit the panic button. They stayed calm and resolute, and they turned their, their play up a notch, and you have to give the Welsh credit. Ultimately, it looked like we were going to escape. We got to the final 10 minutes or so, and unfortunately, Walker Zimmerman goes into a challenge that he really just, I don't blame him. It, it felt like the ball was there, but he had no chance of winning that. And there really wasn't much of a threat, as I believe it was Kiefer Moore for Wales, who is back to goal. You just stand him up, play defensively, and if they somehow find a way to score from that, you tip your hat. But you, you shouldn't go into that challenge. But hindsight's twenty twenty. to be fair to him. Unfortunately, the, the referee was right on it, and there was... No other way. There's no way that it couldn't have been a penalty. It was a 100% penalty. And, of course, Gareth Bale, who ironically plays his club soccer now in the United States for LAFC, where he's now an MLS Cup champion, converts the penalty. Wales' first goal at a major championship since 1950, or at a, at a World Cup, at least, since 1958. Congratulations to them. USA lets one slip. And as much as I try to put a positive spin on it after the match. It just couldn't... I couldn't get out of the, the idea in my head that in this re somewhat ridiculous ar argument of is it a point gained or two points lost? It was two points lost. We had three points sitting there for us against a beatable team, a good team, but a beatable team. And we played very, very well in the first half, but ultimately it wasn't meant to be in the second half. And the United States falls apart late. Uh, it could have been worse, as Gareth Bale nearly had Matt Turner off his line for what could have been a chip to go 2-1 up with just seconds left, but his club teammate in Kellen Acosta commits a foul that turned out to be pretty important for the United States at the end of it in, in group play, because who knows what might have happened and how things might have turned out differently if Acosta doesn't commit that tactical foul and at least prevent Bale from the opportunity to to really stick the dagger in American hearts. So it finishes 1-1. Disappointment, but it was a lot of positives in terms of the performance. Again, we showed an aggressive attacking style of play that we've wanted to see out of the men's national team for many years. So it was good that we got to see that. But then came the real test. I mentioned we may not have had the game against Wales circled, for better or for worse. Because what game was circled? USA versus England. And you can't convince me that they didn't have it circled over there. It's a small sample size. 1950 Men's World Cup, USA 1, England 0. 2010 Men's World Cup, USA 1, England 1. 2019 Women's World Cup, USA 2, England 1. Those are the three times that they've met. I mean, England... And, and I believe there may be, you know, maybe another one as well that I'm just missing out reading off the top of my head, but England have never beaten the United States at a World Cup, men's or women's, at least at senior level. You can't tell me that the 
the football lovers in, in, in England didn't want to beat the soccer country for the first time at the World Cup, right? You can't convince me that. Well, they didn't again. They couldn't do it again. Scoreless. And I know people are going to say, oh, you're celebrating a scoreless draw. That's a small mentality. Look, we outplayed them. That's something to celebrate. And I know England weren't playing their best soccer, or sorry, football, but we outplayed them. And quite frankly, we deserved it to win. I didn't feel that way right after the match. It felt like at times we were just holding on. But for a large stretch of the game, you, you take out the first 15 minutes and the final 10 or so. The U.S. controlled the game. It almost looked like a carbon copy of the Wales game. Every aerial battle, won by an American, it seemed. Every 50-50 ball, every loose ball, seemed like there was an American there. England were so often just passing the ball amongst their back four with, with really no purpose. And it's not just all on them, it's because that U.S. midfield of Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, and Eunice Musa, who I thought were sensational, especially in the group stage. Nobody looked good in the game against the Netherlands, and we'll talk about in a minute. But they were sensational, and this, I think, was their best game. And, I mean, Tyler Adams was, was everywhere. Was everywhere. A guy that plays his club soccer in England for Leeds. But, look, that was a performance for American fans to be proud of. And I understand, yeah, you know, you didn't win, but there was something to be proud of in that. England expected to win against the U.S. for the first time. I'm going to turn my page. There's that sound again. We're going to figure out how to get that resolved. But England expected a first win over the Americans in, in their rather proud World Cup history. But they didn't get it. So it, that was a point earned. A point earned. And, and maybe you could even say two points lost because the U.S. played that well. Third match, this is it. This is it. All the marbles now. No more draws. No more loss. But, uh, but what, what happened in the other game? No, no, no. No scenarios. It is win and you're in for the U.S. Lose and you go home. Oh, by the way, your opponents, Iran, who are a tremendous team defensively, especially in qualifying and throughout the World Cup, even though they, they did get bombarded by six uh, for six goals by England, but kept a clean sheet against Wales. That's who you have to break down. And one thing that we don't do well is break opponents down when they're willing to sit in a low block. And unfortunately, in the round of 16, we didn't do that. But again, more on that momentarily. But let us have our joy, because this was it right here. But first, we have to talk about, unfortunately, the serious side of this game, because it all ties in. It wasn't the soccer that escalated things quickly, but a whole bunch of drama away from the pitch. And that may be a theme of this episode. You'll find out here in a minute. Drama, right? It starts out before the matches. U.S. Soccer, a couple days prior, posts an updated Group B standings graphic on their social media pages that features the flags of, of, course, of, of course, USA, Wales, and England, and Iran. However, the Iranian flag appears with an image, as an image without the symbol of the Islamic Revolution, or the Islamic Republic there in Iran. 
And this very much angers many in Iran, their federation and their government. And admittedly, I, at first I thought maybe this was some sort of mistake, but U.S. soccer confirmed it was no mistake. They pre-planned that as a sign of solidarity for the protest movement that's going on in Iran, that they wanted to do this. That they wanted to show their solidarity with protesters. So that's what they did. And the Iranians were not obviously pleased with that explanation. But of course it didn't die down there. We go to the pre-match press conference. Where journalists from the world over, including Iran, are allowed in. And boy did things get interesting. When it came to the American press conference that featured head coach Greg Berhalter and Captain Tyler Adams. Let me just... Well, actually, that thing is I skipped over the part that they appealed to FIFA. Their appeal to have the U.S. removed from the World Cup. They appealed to have the United States disqualified from the World Cup. That fell largely on deaf ears. The match went forward. Now let's talk about this little press conference. Iranian journalists asked at the day before press conference U.S. head coach Greg Berhalter why he has not actively appealed for the U.S. government to remove U.S. naval ships in the vicinity of Iran. They then asked U.S. Captain Tyler Adams about racial discrimination in America and the hypocrisy of the U.S. government, as they put it, to talk about others' human rights record. And now I'm not going to stick much in politics. That's not me. That's not me. But... Then they went on to also publicly, this was the moment that I think most people really got it. Tyler Adams mispronounced Iran and was publicly reprimanded by a reporter. To which Adams, I thought, handled it very well. He apologized and said that he intended no disrespect whatsoever. Even in the heat of the moment, I thought he handled that well. All of that being said... Yes, they played soccer after that. And by the way, it's not the first time the U.S. and Iran have played the World Cup. 1998 was the only other time. And Iran won. I don't think that had much to do with this game or that was on anybody's minds, but it was just a little something. A little something. Let's see if the Americans can do it. Oh boy, they did. They got their revenge. 1-0. 24 years on from... That tumultuous night, tumultuous tournament in France that year. It was a tense game. Again, the U.S. started on the front foot and let off the gas the second half. But Christian Pulisic, my man sacrificed everything for the cause as he scored. And I mean everything. And if you didn't watch the match... Go to YouTube and find out exactly what happened. I mean, everything. Laid it all on the line. It didn't turn out to be necessarily what we thought it was. Unfortunately, he was able to play against the Dutch, but he had to miss the second half against, uh, against Iran. But my man loved everything out there as he scored the only goal. The U.S. were hanging on for dear life late. I, I do not think, in all my years of watching soccer... It was so tense and chaotic watching the second half because 
not only did the Iranian team at every opportunity, just knowing the desperation that they were facing of going out of the World Cup, but I don't think I have ever seen a, a, a team's bench be so animated in appealing for penalty kicks as it was with Iran. I mean, it was bizarre. I mean, every single player or coach, every time they thought they saw something from way over on the other side, were up at the touchline screaming for reviews, screaming for the referee to award a penalty. And I don't blame them because, look, you know, if you're going out of the World Cup, you have to do everything you can. But I, I, I just had to mention that because I don't, I don't recall ever having seen that, such visceral reactions like that from substitutes who were so far away. Ultimately, thankfully, none of those penalties were given. The United States holds on. Christian Pulisic is fine. He went to the hospital. I did say he sacrificed a whole bunch for this country and for this national team. He did. Unfortunately, he was good to go. He actually beat the team back to the hotel. And it was also part of a now rather infamous video, but not infamous in a really bad way, but infamous in what in what has happened since since the U.S. departed Qatar. More on that here in just a few minutes. But in the round of 16, the good feelings came to a screeching halt. Netherlands 3, USA 1, USA out of the World Cup. In the round of 16, much like we did, and just to name a few, 2014, 2010, 1994, Unfortunately, the only time that the United States, only twice, as a matter of fact, have they ever made it past, have made it to the quarterfinals or further, would be the very first World Cup in 1930, as well as at the 2002 World Cup in South Korea and Japan, who co-hosted it, much like we're going to be co-hosting a World Cup here in about three and a half years. The U.S. head coach Greg Berhalter was a player on the national team, when that happened, and unfortunately, the wait for a quarterfinal appearance that seemed very possible. Unfortunately, that wait goes on a few years longer. But, to break down the match, I mean, look. I, you can be angry at this player or that coach or, or whoever on your team when you lose. But there are some times in sports where you can be so angry at your team for the way that they play and the things that they that they didn't do that they should have, that they did that they shouldn't have, there can be a point where that anger and that frustration gets to the point where you're not frustrated. You're just disrespecting your opponent. And unfortunately, that's exactly what happened. Or, I mean, you shouldn't say we, we, we're being disrespectful, but we have to give our props to Holland. We have to give our props to the Netherlands. I mean... I heard somebody, uh, an analyst, say after the match that Louis van Gaal, their, their manager, he ate Greg Berhalter's lunch. No. He took it from him, or that he took Greg Berhalter's lunch. He took it from him. He ate it in front of him and said, what time is lunch tomorrow? That's how dominant they were. He's ready to eat his lunch for a second time. And I'm not just trying to be overly critical of Greg Berhalter, who I'll have some criticism for in just a minute. Don't you worry about that. But they were just, tactically, they were brilliant. They definitely did their homework about how we played, wanting to be aggressive, wanting to be on the front foot, and they took basically every time. I thought Serginho Dest, who ironically had eligibility to play for the Netherlands, was recruited a few years ago to play for the U.S. I thought he had a pretty good game. It wasn't Anthony Robinson's strongest game, 
on the other side, but they took every moment for our fullbacks to get forward. They sat in a low block, great defensive posture, and simply said, break us down, because you guys can't typically do that. And they were right. The U.S. could not break them down. We missed having a striker. I mean, Virgil van Dyke is likely to win every aerial ball that comes in his vicinity anyway. But somebody to challenge him. I mean, my goodness. How many times in this tournament did we see a cross that went in there and nobody got to? It was an unacceptable amount. We have to find a center forward. But knowing that, the Netherlands said, you know what? We're not going to let you play quick combinations. We're going to make you have to do everything from the flanks. Put in crosses. Put in long balls in the middle. And see if you can win one against who, for my money, is the best center back on the planet right now in Virgil van Dyke And our 6-6 goalkeeper in Uppart. We're going to see if you can beat them. And unfortunately, the U.S. just did not have that answer. The U.S. did, did get a goal back late, but early goal from Memphis Depay... The gut punch, the absolute gut punch in the first half after a, a good sustained period of American pressure, the gut punch was when Daly Blind scored to make it 2-0 right before halftime. And at that point, it felt like it was time to, to, to rev up the plane and, and get ready to head back home. 2-0. The U.S. did give... We had life as Haji Wright scored, so I guess... Yeah, joke's on me now. We had a forward that scored a goal. A center forward that scored a goal. But we were waiting for that all tournament. I thought I thought Josh Sargent had a, had a decent tournament. Didn't create too much from a goal scoring standpoint, but he was involved. He was definitely involved. And I think of, the, of all the forwards, he probably had the best tournament overall, even though it was Haji Wright that scored. Jesus Ferreira didn't do enough to impress me in the first 45 minutes. Um... And I hate to say it, but do you mean to tell me that Ricardo Pepe could have done any worse? I know it, it's, it's the flavor of the month for U.S. center forwards, but you mean to tell me that an informed Ricardo Pepe, at least for his club, not so much for the national team, to be fair, you mean to tell me he couldn't have given us anything? I, I don't believe that. But hindsight, like I said, is twenty twenty. Credit to the Netherlands, USA, out of the World Cup. So that's that's where we sit. 3-1, we're out. I do want to real quickly give my thoughts going into this World Cup final. The United States won't be there, but Argentina will. Croatia will. And this point was brought to my attention as I was listening to one of our other uh, programs that we hear on 1380 The Fan. That's uh, We have affiliated with Fox Sports. And go through and see all the lineups. All the lineup of, of programs and live shows and podcasts that we have to offer here. It's a plethora. You just got to pick from the buffet. I was listening a few nights ago and somebody made the point. Lionel Messi is playing angry right now. And that is scary, scary stuff for an opposing team. He's playing with a chip on his shoulder. And at first I was like, why? Why? Cristiano Ronaldo's got his own set of questions. Why is Messi playing with, with a chip on his shoulder? Well, it's these people, not as many, that have insinuated that he may not be needed at Argentina anymore. He may not be needed by PSG. 
It's ridiculous. It's completely ridiculous. And, and I, I do feel as though this is his last season in France. I think that the MLS and Inter Miami is probably getting all too enticing for him. I think that he's ultimately going to be an MLS player here next year. But whether or not that actually happens, time will tell. But Messi's playing angry. And when I was writing out my notes for this episode yesterday, I was, I was watching the France-Croatia game. I was also watching Ted Lasso, which uh, unfortunately Ted Lasso can't come coach the U.S. men's national team. But uh, that's only because he's a fictional character. Maybe we could still put the call in anyway, because I feel like we could use him. I was watching this, and I said, man, Mbappe versus Messi, but Mbappe pulled up lame. Pulled up in the second half. He finished, but he didn't look 100%, and that's the X factor. In this World Cup of tight turnarounds, limited time between matches, can Kylian Mbappe, 23, I know the younger players can recover quicker. And I've said this, that's why I think that so many younger teams had better showings this World Cup than maybe some had originally expected. And that's why we saw so many upsets. We saw so many surprises early on that we didn't see later on. But the younger players, of course, can get themselves ready for games. But that's different when you're legitimately injured. And hopefully he's not because he's such an amazing player. Of course, you hope so on a personal level because you don't want to see anybody get injured. He's an amazing player and... I don't think France have no chance without him. This French team is already banged up enough. It's, it's, almost, it's almost surprising that they are this far. If you would have told me prior to the tournament that no Paul Pogba, no Kareem Benzema, I fell in my bracket before Kareem Benzema got hurt. That's how confident I was that France were not going to do very well. I had them going out in the round of 16. If you would have told me that without those two guys that they'd be contesting a final, I, would, I wouldn't have believed you. And I know that there have been reports and these insinuations that Karim Benzema may still be able to partake in the final. I doubt it, and I don't think France really does need him. It doesn't seem as though any of those reports have been substantiated by the French delegation. But we'll see what happens in the next 24 to 48 hours as the final draws closer and closer. But... I just, it, I don't think Antoine Griezmann has gotten enough credit. I don't think Olivier Giroud's gotten enough credit. I mean, this French team, believe it or not, up until their game yesterday against Morocco in the semifinals, they've conceded at least one goal in every game, including to Australia. They were the only team that Denmark scored against. And don't even get me started about Denmark, as I had them in the semifinals that's another conversation for another day. Incredibly disappointing from the Danes and what they did in this World Cup. But this French team has, has been a bit all over the place at times defensively. And they've had injuries in their back line as well. You just wonder, can Messi exploit that? I think if this... If Mbappe is healthy, if this gets into a track meet, Argentina are in trouble. If it gets into that sort of open-ended... Up-tempo game, everybody's in trouble when they face the French. 
But Lionel Messi can take advantage of a game like this. This is his moment. He knows what happened in Brazil eight years ago can't happen again because he's not going to get another crack at this. He's acknowledged this is in all likelihood his final World Cup. And even if he does come back in 2026, what will his role be for Argentina? What will that Argentine team look like? Because finally, finally, Argentina have established a legitimate team around Messi. It doesn't feel like he's carrying them right now. It really doesn't feel that way. This is this this is the shot. This is the opportunity right now. If you're Messi, if you're Argentina, and by the way, I said earlier, I'm not Nostradamus, and I'm definitely not, but I'd just like to point out, I picked Argentina to win the World Cup. Prior. I don't even remember who I had in the final. But I picked Argentina to win it all. And before anybody says, oh yeah, right, I literally just told you I picked Denmark to go to the semifinals, and they scored one goal in the entire tournament. So... Trust me when I say honesty. Also, I'd just like to point out that I did have the United States, reluctantly, I had the United States losing to the Netherlands in the round of 16. Reluctantly, I had that. Also, I had Qatar going to the second round, and that, needless to say, that backfired. But anyway, I can't, I can't go away from my pick now, can I? No. No. Argentina have grown into this tournament in a way that they would have hoped they would have, and that, that I would have hoped that they would have. They have been sensational since their opening loss against Saudi Arabia. They took apart Mexico. Took apart Poland. At times in the group stage, yes, or in the, in the knockout stage, rather, it's felt like they're more or less surviving. Had to hold on late against Australia. I mean, they, they blew their two-goal lead against the Netherlands and wound up having to win on penalties. And what probably is the best game of this World Cup thus far. Hopefully the final tops it. By the way, third place playoff match is Saturday. It's Croatia versus Morocco. And you have to give credit, or credits due, to Croatia for a country that small to go to two consecutive World Cup semifinals is a big, big accomplishment. And for Morocco... Hats off to them for the history they made. First African country to reach the semifinals. Unfortunately for them, it ended in... I mean, blow-off fashion for Croatia, but Morocco was in the game. France scored a second one late to put the, to put the game to bed. But credit to them, they'll go out for third. I'm going to say Croatia goes out with a win. And I'm going to say that Argentina do as well. Argentina win the World Cup. And they can hold on to it and keep it nice and warm for when the Americans get their turn. But, oh, by the way, because this, one, this one's been on my brain for a little while. And when something's on my mind, if I've got this platform, I've got to share it with you. It's always soccer-related. I've got to share it with you. What in the world? What in the wide world? The wide world covered... By 78% water and 22% of it's covered by Tyler Adams. What in the world is going on now with the U.S. men's national team since they left the World Cup? They've made more news about after the World Cup than they did during it. 
And ladies and gentlemen, if you if you have not heard much about this story, get your scorecards ready because you just you just might need it. But in particular, what is going on between one of the U.S.'s best young players, Gio Reyna, and head coach Greg Berhalter? Because it could be something. It could be. Nothing, I highly doubt it's nothing, and I don't personally think it is. It could be a lot of something. And it could be what costs Greg Berhalter his job, because I'd have to believe that between him and Reyna, U.S. soccer is going to go with Gio Reyna and this young group who, reportedly, we don't know what they think of Gio Reyna. We don't know what they think of Greg Berhalter. We'll get to that here in a second. But there was confusion all tournament long. Why is Reyna not playing? Why was he not called into the game against Wales, a game that I thought would have been best suited for him? Tim Weah was exhausted. The goal scorer in that game against Wales was exhausted. Why? Because he was getting everything he wanted down that side. So what do you do? You've got to bring in a similar player. Bring in Reyna. Let him run at tired defenders. Let him be the one to be an outlet, to launch a counterattack. Bring in Jordan Morris if you must, but have him through the middle. Let a bigger, burlier striker hold the ball up, draw fouls, connect play. Doesn't have to be pretty, but just calm things down. Take the air out of the ball and let Polisic on the left, Reyna on the right, let them be the guys to cook if you get a chance uh, on on the break. Well, that's not what Greg Berhalter did. He put in Morris on the outside, and Gio Reyna stayed on the bench. Didn't make any sense to anybody. After the match, Greg Berhalter said, well, Gio's not 100%. Gio Reyna then said, yeah, I am. Awkward. A little awkward. <laughs> but then it gets better. The next game against England. Of course, the USA nail England nil, and they beat Iran. He actually got a decent amount of playing time in the game against the Netherlands, Reyna did, but he played a very limited role in this tournament. I believe it was the game against England where he made his only group stage appearance. But now the tournament's over, but the drama is just kicking up. So do you have those scorecards ready? Because I told you, you're going to want to keep track of some of the interesting developments that have happened. The team flies back to the U.S. And at a conference in New York City, the concrete jungle and the media capital of the world, New York City, Greg Berhalter attends a conference in which he actually told people that there was a player, he didn't name who, but he said that there was a player who was not meeting the expectations of the group. And, according to Greg Berhalter, this player was actually considered to be sent home from the World Cup. And immediately, Berhalter, come on, man. We know who you're talking about. We know it's Geo. And it turned out to be that that was true. We immediately put two and two together. There was only one person that that could possibly be referencing, and it was Gio Reyna. 
But then the reports went on. There came a report in U.S. media, and to be fair, Gio Reyna has said that some of the reports, he didn't specify which ones, but he said that some of them were rather fictionalized. But some of the reports in American media actually suggested that not only was there consideration amongst the leadership group and the coaching staff, as Greg Berhalter had suggested, but that there actually was a vote amongst the 25 other players in the squad as to whether or not to send one of the most promising young players that the U.S. has home to kick him off the team. And according to reports, 12 players voted to send him home. 13 voted no. And again, Reyna has said this that there are some things that are fictionalized. He didn't specify what. But that's a report that of the 25, it took 13, it took the simplest of majorities to keep him there. According to Greg Berhalter, this unnamed player, who we all knew 100% at the time who it was, apparently they were ready to give him a plane ticket home. That's how serious it was. This reportedly all stems from Greg Berhalter, for whatever reason. Now, this is what Gio Reyna said, and of course, take everything with a grain of salt, because there are two sides to every story. Gio Reyna claims that he was told, for reasons I cannot for the life of me understand, but he was actually told before the start of the tournament that, by Greg Berhalter, that you'll be playing a limited role in this tournament. Why? Literally, why are you coming up to one of our best players, who's not a backup goalkeeper, mind you, and telling him that? Why? Doesn't make any sense. But reportedly, Gio Reyna did what he shouldn't have done. And for this, he has accepted accountability, and this he confirmed what Greg Berhalter already said, that he apologized to the team. He basically, I don't want to say shut down, but he was not giving his very best effort for at least a few days. And it's even reported that in a scrimmage against a, a local Qatari, t uh, Qatari team that he actually was just dragging along and just going through the motions. And that really upset the apple cart amongst the coaches and the players. That much seems to be pretty much confirmed. There are things that when you match up Berhalter's story and what she... I, I'm going to get to what I think about his comments in a minute. And then what Gio Reyna said, there, there's, there's similarities. So I do think that this has to be said, that there are some things that, you know what, we, we have out there that maybe aren't true, but some that we have are that, that are true. But to start with Reyna, you can't just shut down. There are guys that were huge parts of qualifying, like Reyna was. Think Ricardo Pepe. Think Zach Steffen. The guy had been the national team number one for the better part of three years. And he didn't make the team. We wouldn't be at this World Cup without Zach Steffen. Without Ricardo Pepe. And others as well. We wouldn't be there if it wasn't for them. They didn't get a call-up. You did. You can't just shut down even for just a couple days because they tell you, for reasons, again, I don't understand, that you're not going to play very much. 
You can't just shut down because of that. You have to keep going. And I know it's it's, it's easy to say on, on this side of things, but that's the way it is. So Reyna can't just shut down. And he's, he's acknowledged that. He apologized. As far as I'm concerned, that's it for him. Greg Berhalter, let's have a word. Why, oh why, are you telling key players, whether or not they start or they come off the bench, that they're not going to play very much in this World Cup, barring injuries? Why are you telling people that? Why are you telling people that on the outset of the tournament? Why? It doesn't make any sense. And to me, he violated the trust of the locker room. You had a chance to say this after the Wales game, why, why Gio didn't play, because you're not happy with him. You're not happy with his effort that he's shown in, in, in the, in the lead-up to the tournament. And you don't think that you should reward it. I disagree with that, but fair enough. Coaches have to put their foot down. You should have said that. But instead, you did something that, again, I think is also fair. And said, basically, we're going to keep this one in-house. But then you decided to do a, a 180. And when you were away from the team, when you were back home, when you did an event that was optional, I mean, maybe it wasn't even so much optional, I don't know the circumstances surrounding the event. But you, you did something you didn't have to do. You talked about this. You were asked, I know. But you're a head coach. Setting the rules, presumably, about... Hey, look, we're, everything that happens within this group, we're going to keep it within the group, and we're going to settle it that way. And you didn't adhere to that rule. So how is this young team supposed to trust you? There's the page turn again. Oh, yeah, we're going to get that figured out. How is this young team supposed to trust you? Like I said, Gio Reyna should not have shut down the way that he did, or at least the way that it's reporting. But for Greg Berhalter... This is unacceptable, and I and I wouldn't blame any member of that men's national team that says, you told us that we had to handle everything in-house, everything internally, and then you went and abided by your own set of rules after you didn't abide by your own set of rules the first time. To me, it's time. I've tried to defend Greg Berhalter, I really have. He's a, he's a great guy, it seems. And I think he can be a good coach. But he's not the right guy to lead this team forward. It, it just doesn't seem that way. His player management has been extremely questionable. I thought tactically he got a ton right in this tournament. But his management has been questionable. And I just think it's time to move on. I think if we want to possibly, yes we can, we can possibly... I think there's a good chance. Go very far. Maybe go all the way on home soil in 2026. But I just don't think that that's with Greg Berhalter. If I'm U.S. soccer, you have to find a coach who with this group understands American players. I'm not saying it has to be an American coach. But I think most American fans out there would know who exactly I want when I say that there's an American coach in the Premier League who understands American players. No, it's not Ted Lasso. 
We can try to get Jason Sudeikis' agent on the phone. We'll see how it goes. Jesse Marsh, place the call. I don't care what he said about the national team. You place that call. Assuming that Greg Berhalter doesn't work out, you place the call to Jesse Marsh. Look what he's done in Europe. He's gotten that Leeds team to believe. Brendan Aronson and Tyler Adams play for him at Leeds. Imagine what he could do for this young group. He knows what he needs to do. And I think if you were to talk to him, I think he would really give it a shot. And I hope it happens. Mic drop. Time for me to step off my soapbox, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Sorry. I, I, I get into this. I get into this. This is what I love. So I hope you bear it with me. Hope you liked that podcast episode. We got so many more coming up. And again, if you wanted to go back and watch any of our other, or listen to any of our other podcasts, listen to all the, the games, the shows that we produce here at 1380 The Fan, the 1380 The Fan podcast page and Apple Podcasts is your place to go. Go there. You can listen to everything in its entirety. You can listen back to this episode as many times as you want. Hopefully you found it that good. Hopefully you found it that informative. I'm going to try to find topics that don't work me up as much as some of these ones today did, but I love to get worked up about sports, about soccer in particular, because this is something good to get worked up about, because then we can just go right back to our daily lives. And that's what we're going to do. So I want to thank you all so much for joining us here today on the Just for Kicks podcast, and I hope you will be back for next week's episode. We're going to try to get this up going weekly, and I've got a train ride tomorrow, so hopefully... Hopefully I'll, I'll be spending some time maybe even on that train conceptualizing what's going to go on for next week's episode. We're going to talk a little bit about that World Cup final. Just a few eyes around the world watching that. But thank you again so much for joining us. Hope you have a wonderful weekend and hope that your holiday season has gotten off to a fantastic start. Thank you so much. Have a great morning, afternoon, or evening wherever you're watching or listening. Thank you.